Thank you for tuning in with us at Bayou City Fellowship Spring Branch, a community that is radically focused on Jesus. Advent comes from the Latin word adventus, or coming, a period of preparation for the birth of Jesus Christ, reminding ourselves that Jesus' first coming prepares us for his second coming when he will restore this broken world. Join us for this week's lesson as we learn and pray to be more like Christ. Merry Christmas to you. It's so good to be here and to worship together, to remember the birthday of our Lord. My name is A.K. Kuravilla. I'm the interim campus pastor here at Bi-City Fellowship Spring Branch. For those of you who might be visiting, we have three campuses, one in Tomball, one in Cyprus, and one here in Spring Branch. My wife Susan and I have been uh, members here over the last 11 years. And again, for those of you who are visiting, we are a relatively young church. We're just 12 years old. And I've got to tell you that Jesus is indeed Emmanuel. I can say that experientially because his presence has been with us. Through the joys and sorrows of normal church life, we have experienced the power and presence of God. And so we rejoice in what he has done We have a wonderful staff who are committed, God-honoring people who love God, His Word, and His people. We have a wonderful worship team. And all of this is possible not because of anything, anything that we have done. It's simply because God cares for us. He cares for His people. He has done that over the ages, and He continues to care for us. He cares for you and for me. So that is our hope as we celebrate his birthday this season. Well, it's the most wonderful time of the year, so the song goes. Lots of fun, frivolity, food and fellowship, family, fanfare, and all kinds of things. For about 40 years now, PNC, the bank, they have published an annual CPI, not a consumer price index, but a Christmas price index. What would it cost me if I gave my true love all those gifts described in the classic 12 days of Christmas? That's the indicator of cost. They say that this year it would cost me $46,729.86 if I were to follow that. That is about 2.7% higher than last year. Why this increase? Well, the price of pear tree has gone up by 13.9%. The price of turtle doves has gone up 25% because they say it's a rarity. And then, of course, we have a tight labor market, you know. Musician labor costs are high. 11 pipers piping, 12 drummers drumming, they've gone up 6.2%. Well, the National Retail Federation tells us that collectively we will spend about $950 billion this holiday season. It's one big birthday bash. A celebration, if you will. That's what we're all about. Now, we all know that it is very easy to be lost in the hustle and bustle of the season. At 10 o'clock this morning, I was at HEB, armed with a cart and a shopping list. I was dashing through the aisles, looking for what I wanted so that I can get out of there, come home, have a shower, and be here at 12 o'clock, right? So... The least thing on my mind was, why are we celebrating? I mean, that's, that was not even on my radar screen. 
the planning, the get-together, the ugly sweaters, the white elephants. We can easily miss the reason for all this celebration, couldn't we? A birthday party where we don't even realize that the birthday person is missing. Now, that is not new. It happened when Jesus was born too. Think about the innkeeper in Bethlehem that night. Joseph and Mary look for a place to stay. They go to the inn. The innkeeper says, there is no room at the inn. Business was good. The economy was red hot. 100% occupancy. He had plenty to keep him busy. If only he knew who this baby was, he probably would have found a room. In the second chapter of Matthew, we read about the wise men coming to King Herod, who ruled at that time. They ask him, where is he born who has been born the king of the Jews? And the text says that King Herod was troubled. He was stirred. He was agitated. He was irritated. There was no room for two kings in his mind. I am the ruler. I will not have anyone challenge me. I rule my own life. King Herod missed Jesus. And you know, if Jesus cannot overrule us, if he cannot say no when we say yes, if we don't have a place for him, we might also miss him. We hear often during the season, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. But we miss the last part of that verse, which says, peace among those with whom he is well pleased. When there is room for his rule, when there is room for his perspective to take priority in our life, God is pleased and we will experience peace. If not, we might miss him and the peace he has to offer. If only Herod knew who this baby was, his response would have been different. There is yet another group that missed him. They are the religious folk. You know, when King Herod was asked the question, he called his religious leaders together, and he asked them about the birth of the Messiah. And these scribes, they knew their Bibles well. They quoted from Micah 5.2 that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. They knew the scripture. But they were not able to connect the scripture with what God was doing around them. If only they knew who this baby was, they would have gone and worshipped him. And they would not have missed him. So as we celebrate Christmas this season, I thought it would be good for us to be reminded of who this person is whose birthday we celebrate. Because we don't want to be, none of us want to be in that category of people who say, if only we knew. So the passage of scripture I'd like for us to look at today is Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Colossians 5, 15 through 20. There is probably no passage in scripture where we have so many descriptions of Jesus so tightly woven together. We have the gospels that tell us about Jesus, what he did, how he lived, what he said, all of that. But here we have a listing of seven characteristics of Jesus. In the interest of time, obviously we're not going to go through all of them. I will just touch on a few and expand on a couple. 
So what makes Jesus so unique that calls for such a big birthday celebration as we have and as we have been doing for so many years? Well, the first thing we learn in verse 15 is that he is the image of the invisible God. Now, what does that mean? Well, the scriptures tell us that God is spirit. John chapter 1 says that no one has seen God. First Timothy tells us God is eternal, immortal, invisible. Now, you and I may be able to visualize God as one who might not get tired, one who might not get hungry, one who might not grow old. We might even visualize God who is holy, who is incapable of sin, or one who patiently displays unfailing love. But eternal? Invisible? How do you visualize that? What does invisible God look like? Well, that is what Jesus came to show us, to make the visible, invisible, visible. So the scripture says here that Jesus is the image. Jesus is the icon. Jesus is the perfect manifestation of the eternal and invisible God. If you want to see what God is like, look at Jesus. What God is, Jesus is. What God does, Jesus does. What God says, Jesus says. Now, obviously, this is a little hard to understand. What does it look like to be both man and God? Well, we see that in the Gospels. Jesus was human. He was born. He grew up. He worked as a carpenter. He was tired. He was hungry. He was thirsty. He was a wonderful, attractive human being because crowds flocked to him. At the same time, he was God. When they ran out of wine at a wedding, he performed a miracle and turned water into wine. Or as one poet put it, conscious water met its maker and blushed. He multiplied a few loaves and fish to feed thousands. He walked across the waves. He silenced the storm. He cleansed lepers, healed the sick, and raised the dead. His enemies could not harm him until he gave himself up. They nailed him to a cross but could not keep him in a tomb because he rose from the dead just as he said he would. Philip, one of his disciples, remember in the Gospels, asked him at one point, Lord, show us the Father, that would be enough. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is God revealed to us so that we can know what God is truly like. So if we listen to what Jesus said, we know the heart of God. If we watch what Jesus did, we know what God would do in any situation. We don't have to guess anymore. We know what God desires. We know what God wants us to do. The only question we have to answer is this. Do we want to follow him? Jesus reveals God to us. Well, how did that happen? Was he created like everybody else? It brings us to the second point, which we read there in, uh, in the verse, latter part of verse 15. He was the firstborn 
of all creation. Typically, when you hear firstborn, you think, well, birth order, who was born first? But here, in the next verse, it tells us that everything was created by him. So obviously, he was not a created being. So the idea of firstborn here is one of rank and not birth order. It is like me saying, I am the coach of my kids' baseball team. I am not part of the team. My rank is higher. That's uh, an inferior analogy. But Jesus is supreme in rank, far above all creation, and he is not part of creation. He was not created. Third, we find in verses 16 and 17 that he is the architect he is the agent of creation. The world was created by Jesus, for by him all things were created, says verse 16. The world was created by Jesus like a master craftsman. The father, if you like philosophical terms, the father was the efficient cause, whereas Jesus was the mediating cause. Just think about the number of galaxies and the number of stars in the universe. Astronomers estimate there are two trillion galaxies. Now, that is an estimate based on limited telescopes and observable data. Our galaxy, the Milky Way, is estimated to have a hundred billion stars. Well, if you go to Psalm 147, it tells us, God knows all the stars and calls them by their names. Isn't it interesting that in Genesis 1.16, I find this humorous, we hear that God made the sun and the moon, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. And then at the end of the verse, you have this phrase, he made the stars also. Just in case you forgot that, a hundred billion stars just in our galaxy. Whether you look through the microscope at cells in the human body or look through the telescope into outer space, you see design. And whenever you see design, it immediately signals to you that there is intelligence behind this design. And all design tells us there is a purpose behind the design. All things were created by him, through him and for him. Not only that, in him all things hold together. Verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Think about this. If the earth were just a little closer to the sun, it would be too hot to survive. If it was just a little further away from the sun, it would be too cold to survive. The orbits and the rotation of the earth and his atmosphere is so finely tuned for life. How does all this hang together without getting out of control? In him, all things hold together. And what is true of the universe is true of you and me. The only reason why we are here today is because he is holding us together. You know, we are dependent beings. The reason for our being is not within ourselves. Our lives are not in our hands. Jesus, he sustains you and me in addition to all of creation. 
We go into verse 18, we read, he is also head of the body, the church. Now by church, we don't mean this particular body here. By church, we're talking of the invisible body of all those who follow Jesus all over the world. And we here are a local expression of that. Total dependence of the church on the head, Jesus Christ. Each of the members connected and working together with Jesus as the head, directing and caring for the church. He is the head of the church and all those who follow him. His desire is that we move in step with his direction. Number five in verse 18, we also read that he is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Here again, the reference to firstborn is to rank. He is supreme over everything. This is the Jesus whose birthday we're celebrating. He's supreme over all creation. He's supreme over the church. And then, of course, there is this additional aspect of coming back from the dead, firstborn from the dead. You know, if you look at the pages of the Bible, you see that there are a few people who have been brought back from the dead. Jesus himself raised three people. A ruler's daughter, a widow's son, and his friend Lazarus. Jesus himself rose from the dead. What's the difference? The difference is this. Jesus was the only one to rise up from the dead, never to die again. And he is the firstborn from the dead. He voluntarily laid down his life and rose from the dead. Number six. Verse 19, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. Now, what does that mean? It means that all of who God is, his attributes and his power resides in Jesus permanently. Jesus was the real manifestation of God to man. And this fullness was not something that was added to Jesus. It always resided in him. And the last, verse 20, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him I say whether things on earth or things in heaven. Jesus is the reconciler, the reconciler. He reconciles all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. The Bible says that there is only one mediator between man and God, Christ Jesus. God's justice requires that sin be punished. God's justice says, punish them. God's love says, pardon them. How can the two be satisfied together? Jesus took our punishment on the cross, and in so doing, he satisfied both God's justice and his love. Jesus reconciles us to God. So this is the person whose birthday we celebrate today. He's Lord of all. He's God made visible to us. He's supreme over all creation. Everything was created by him. He holds everything together. I mean everything. He is the head of the church. He rose from the dead. 
and in him dwells the fullness of God, all of God's attributes and his power. He defeated sin and death, and through the blood he shed on the cross, he is reconciled to God, all who will trust in him. That is who Jesus is, which then should bring us, obviously, to the natural question. If Jesus is Lord of all, how are we going to respond to this during this Christmas season? You know, there are many things that are unique about Jesus. And one thing I want to highlight is the way he described humanity. The human condition most accurately described was by Jesus. You know, there's all kinds of brokenness and suffering and conflict and injustices in this world. And you've got all kinds of philosophies and religious systems trying to explain all of that. Some may say, it is your desires that is the cause of all the pain and suffering. Somebody else might say, is the result of the kind of work that you have done. That is what causes all this pain and suffering. Jesus had a different take because he knew what was in man. He said in Mark 7, he said, that which proceeds out of the man is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Pretty strong language, isn't it? Coming from Jesus, who was full of grace and truth. You know, Genesis 1 through 3, people hotly debate that. Is it true? But there is nothing so true in our lived out experiences as what you see in Genesis 3. Adam and Eve dealt with it. They saw something that looked good. They wanted it. And they said, we have the right to have it. But God said no. So they had these questions that the serpent raised. Did God really say it? Well, if he said it, did he really mean it? If he meant it, do I really have to follow it? Why can't I do what I want to do? You see, that is at the heart of sin. And every time we choose not to follow what God has said, we create more pain for ourselves and those around us. You know, it was a well-known evangelist in the 1800s, D.L. Moody, once said, if you take young men who are stealing nuts and bolts from the railway tracks and give them a good education, before you know it, they will be stealing the entire railway track. Behavior can only be modified up to a certain point by external pressure. It does not transform the heart. Sin results when we don't follow God's desires. And sin alienates us from God. And if it is not dealt with, eternal separation from God is our destiny, is what the scriptures tell us. But the good news is that Jesus came to redeem us. Redeem us from the power of sin and the penalty of sin. He came to reconcile us to God so that we don't have to be separated from him forever. He came to give us eternal life. If you have been far away from God today, 
Jesus invites you to be reconciled to God. Trust him and his sacrifice on the cross for you. And you will be reconciled to God, finding peace on earth in your circumstances and eternal life. For today in the city of David is born for you a Savior who is our greatest need, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus alone can save us from alienation and separation from God. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus, may I encourage you to double down. Practically, what might that look like? Well, let's say we want to follow Jesus more closely. Jesus loved the unlovable. Let's say in the next week, let's think about that. Can we love the unlovable as we imitate Jesus? Jesus was patient with people as he's patient with you and with me. Can we be patient with those around us? Jesus was full of grace, giving people what they did not deserve. Can you and me over this Christmas season be full of grace as much as we might be full of truth? Continue to follow him would be my encouragement as you celebrate the good tidings of great joy so that we might experience the peace that he alone can give. Gracious God, we thank you. As we sang, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hailed in incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. We thank you for you are our Emmanuel. You are with us. And so as we look at you, the supreme over all creation, supreme over all of our lives, who is preeminent, who deserves nothing but worship, we recognize that the appropriate response is a bended knee. Help us to do that, Lord, as we are weak, and often we don't want to do it. We are looking to you by the power of the Holy Spirit that we might be found to be faithful on bended knee, calling you our Savior and our Lord, and worshiping you with all of our lives and with all we have and all we are. We ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. We have a time of response, uh, as we always do following our services. As the prayer team comes forward, we invite you to come forward. If you have uh, something particular that you'd like prayer for, or it might be a, 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 a response to what you have heard sung, or prayed, or read, scripture heard, the preaching heard, whatever that might be. We invite you to come forward to pray. And if there is a particular need, our prayer team will be so glad to pray with you. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that you feel encouraged. To stay up to date with all current sermon series, make sure that you subscribe to our channel. If you'd like to find more ways to get involved with the Bayou City family, visit us online at bayoucityfellowship.com or download the Bayou City Fellowship Spring Branch app to find community in the body of Christ.